to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and all of the major podcast platforms. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring individual, hear their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm here today with Aidan Kramer, uh, who's the co-founder and CEO of JobLab. Welcome Aidan. Thanks for having me Craig. My pleasure, my pleasure. So look, I'll give you a little bit of an introduction here so you don't need to do it yourself. Um, Aidan is a uh, Leeds University graduate, correct, um, dropped into the uh, creative industry after that as an art director I think, uh, and did a number of things. I'm going to keep some of them quiet because there's some really surprising things and I'm going to ask, ask questions during the interview on this. Um, some of them I, I don't know the answer to, so it's a, a voyage of discovery for me. Uh, you uh, pretty quickly though fell into entrepreneurship and uh, you were an alumni, uh, or alumnus I should say, of the Mass Challenge which is an accelerator for startups, yeah. right? And a tech commentator, technology commentator uh, on talk radio, uh, a City AM guest writer, yes. a pretty prolific author I've noticed on <laughs> Medium as well, so check some of his articles out, they're really interesting, and of course the current business which is all consuming uh, and that's Job Lab. It's a graduate recruitment platform that Aidan can explain much better than me. Um, 30,000 members, I guess those are you know, candidates yeah. for, for recruitment and more than 70 universities. Um, pretty impressive uh, number of things that you've done in a very short period of time. Uh, you're living in London now, right? Yeah, 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 living in South London. Yeah, in South London, which part? Clapham. Clapham, yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, between the commons. Exactly. Fantastic. So you didn't want to stay in Leeds? Is Leeds your hometown? Or uh, you so I grew up in northwest London. Yeah. Um, had a lot of fun in Leeds. Uh, but yeah, it was time to come back down and, and take things seriously. It's a good student town, right? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Love the city. Yeah, yeah. I was up uh, I was up to, in the northeast actually this, this week at Durham. It's a little bit okay. further than Leeds, I know. But uh, felt like the Arctic Circle. It's very like, nice up there. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what drew you so quickly after university into entrepreneurship, it's not um, it's not a usual uh, course. Generally, people you know, work for a while for somebody else. Yeah, um, I guess I've, I've always had a bit of an itch around entrepreneurship. Uh, when I was studying, I ran an eBay business, selling office chairs, you know, to, to pay for nights out, and um, and that kind of taught me about the power of kind of online dynamics to make money and just have a bit of ownership and control of your own finances. Um, so I studied advertising, I kind of fell into the world of advertising, um, started as kind of a, a junior creative and quite quickly realised that the work I was doing wasn't having um, as much of an impact as I kind of had assumed it would. You know, our first brief we had something like uh, a million pounds to spend um, to you know, help a shoe company launch their new shoe. And, um, you know, you put your heart and soul into the creative brief and it kind of inevitably gets shot down as a junior and it's quite demotivating. Um, so I wanted to do something that kind of I had control over and I could kind of push something forward. So left that and ultimately ended up on uh, graduate job boards, so read indeed, and realised that they were just, you know, one iteration away from newspaper classified ads put online. Um, you know, they were CV black holes, people were applying to lots of jobs, not hearing anything back. Uh, I had a lot of friends in a similar position where they, you know, didn't know what to do. Um, and, you know, I had one friend who was so demotivated by the process that she ended up suffering from a bout of depression, you know, and there was this 
this time, this quarter life crisis has been coined, where people don't know what to do and there's no real transition from education into employment. Quarter life crisis. Quarter life crisis. Yeah. So, so kind of found myself in uh, in this area where there was a lot of kind of anxiety, unnecessary anxiety, a lot of inefficiency with the technology. Um, so decided to kind of go all in and try and create a solution to this problem. So before we get to the solution, so bring this to life, talk us through a day in the life of somebody who's at university or another institution and they're starting to apply, what happens? So typically, um, traditionally, first protocol, uh, you may go to the career service career services, uh, but they are unfortunately quite uh, outdated, quite slow moving, um, and Out outdated how? Uh, so they, you know, they typically cater to the, the large corporates that do the traditional milk rounds. So they'll go around to universities, they'll do some career fairs, um, and they're not using the technology available to get their students out and get the exposure that they need um, to help them get into employment. And we're seeing that, you know, people kids leaving university um, or even who don't go to university they're not being prepared for the world of work you know you're not getting um, courses and you know, how to interview um, how to start a first job and and that's why we're getting all this pushback from companies about the millennial generation uh, no respect entitled because they just they just don't know what it's like to transition into work so you know the people that do know what they want to do is that's firstly like a really big challenge. Uh, a lot of people entering the world of work don't know what you know what they're great at. They don't know what to focus on. Um, so they end up applying to you know a handful of jobs that they like the look of, not hearing anything back, casting the net wider, not hearing anything back, applying to hundreds of jobs, and often taking the first thing that comes back to them. And this is through the so-called job boards. So this these are listings. Exactly. So so kind of just listings online. Uh, that they're going through and applying to ones that they feel are a good fit for them. And we find that often, you know, people aren't, you know, choosing a career path that ultimately caters to their unique talent and their unique passion. Um, Why is that? Because it, it's through, or well, partly we believe through a lack of understanding as to, you know, what they're truly good at. Um, and it's lack of understanding as to you know, how to find something that you're passionate about and pursue it. Mm. So often people are choosing careers that are kind of prescribed to them by the university, by their family, by their friends, uh, but not really taking the time to find out what, what's the right thing for them. I, I, I have a lot of conversations with uh, people I work with, actually including you, yeah. uh, about this topic and it can be confusing. My son is 17. So he's thinking about where to go next and it can be confusing if you focus I think on the what rather than the why exactly right so exactly yeah. as you say the why is you know what drives you what you're passionate about and that's uh, that's really the North Star the stable North Star yeah. but it can be served by many watts Absolutely. Which, yeah so uh, very interesting observations and of course this is a dilemma not just for university graduates of course, yeah, lots of others coming out of um, university. I'm going to pause here so that we do a little segue and ask you about something completely different before we get to the solution that you've created. Sure. Uh, I saw on your profile uh, when I was looking at it that you are a goldfish buoyancy engineer, uh, which means you apparently developed a life jacket a goldfish. Yes. Tell me about that. What is going on there? Um, so it was maybe two or three years ago now. Um, 
my, my girlfriend, still my girlfriend, had uh, a 23 year old goldfish. So, uh, 23 year old goldfish. How long do they usually act for? Well, apparently, that's like a, a good, like a, they can live to 30 years old or so. Really? But, so, this was a very well, you know, well cared for goldfish. And I had my, you know, I had my questions as to whether the parents were, you know, replacing the goldfish every few years. Uh, but no, it, it looked old and it was old. And anyway, one Christmas. Um, Can I just ask what an old goldfish looks like? So that they go great. Um, oh, they do. It, it was yeah, it was white. The scales looked like they'd come off, and it looked like an old fish. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so th this fish one day couldn't float anymore and was stuck at the bottom of the tank. And after 23 years, the so family it just sank. It yeah. just sang, sang sang kind of sat on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, had a swim bladder problem. Um, so you know, as a good entrepreneur, saw a, a problem that needed solving, um, and you know cut up my girlfriend's, one of her bikinis, um, tied a cork to it, and then got the strap around the goldfish to give it the right level of buoyancy so the goldfish could swim again. Um, and anyway, we, we filmed the experience, uh, put it on YouTube, uh, ended up getting something like 60 million views and went no. viral. Um, yeah, so it was... So if, if somebody types in it, what are they suit? Sally the fish. Sally, Sally the fish. <laughs> or Sally fish life jacket, and you'll, you'll definitely Sally, find it. Sally fish life jacket, yeah. 60 million views. So yeah, it, it went very viral on Facebook. It got picked up by Unilad and um, some of those sites. And uh, yeah, it was, it was quite crazy. Wow. Did you, did you monetize that in any way? Um, so we, <laughs> we did get uh, a bit of money from it, actually. We went on a, a little holiday break. Um, mainly from some publications that you know published it without letting us know, and then they decided to pay us afterwards, uh, not mentioning any names. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm sure people are dying to know: is this fish still living? Unfortunately, not. No. Well, I hope it wasn't a problem with. The it was nothing to do with the apparatus. Um, she had a good, good final few years, but um, yeah, she few passed years. So a few years living in this. Yeah. Yeah. And. This is a product that I imagine that it's a fairly niche market. Did you? It's it's a very niche market. No, we haven't expanded the range. Um, it's a, you know I, I still get a few emails from people asking for instructions. So you can't buy them online. You can't buy them online. No, unfortunately. Right. But well, maybe, maybe that's after Job Lab we can start. There thinking. you go. Well, maybe as well as uh, quite a complementary business, I imagine. Um, which takes us back to Job Lab, of course. So yes. tell, tell me about the concept of Job Lab. So as I was saying, we, we fundamentally believe there is a disconnect between employment and education. And our job is to, uh, or our mission is to build the bridge to help people transition into meaningful work. Um, so meaningful work is about finding this kind of synergy between your talent and your passion, and then providing you the opportunity to go into work. So the first iteration of that is uh, a marketplace. So we have a marketplace where graduates can uh, pitch themselves so they enter kind of their experience, what they're good at, what they're looking for, and upload a video. Uh, and then they kind of leave that video online, and we give employers the tools. The video is effectively their... It's kind of a cover letter. Cover letter, yeah. okay. Uh, and then we give employers the tools to search for and find candidates. So it helps candidates discover opportunities that they might not have thought suitable for them, uh, because they're actually being hand-picked and invited to jobs rather than kind of casting their net wide and applying to jobs So themselves. it's the, rec uh, the companies who are seeking to recruit who do the searching exactly. effectively? Yeah. Okay. And we actually found that 
you know, the job board model was not just inefficient for candidates who were hearing nothing back, it was hugely inefficient for companies as well who were receiving you know, thousands of applications, it was impossible to filter through, um, and they have to turn to recruiters to do the filtering for them. So the much more efficient um, you know, process is that candidate comes first, um, an employer has the ability and the tools to search for and filter the right people. Right, so it really changes the polarity of the process. Exactly. So it's all about championing the candidate, putting them first, yeah. and making sure our, you know, our technology can pull out the best matching people. And it's obviously got traction, 30,000 members at yeah. the moment. So 35,000 are current counts and, and growing. Um, so we have a really you know, engaged core community of users. Um, that That's fantastic. and. Something that's quite unique about the platform as well. Uh, we, you know, we have this idea about putting candidates first uh, and giving employers the tools to find them. And we found initially it didn't work um, because candidates were being unresponsive. They right. weren't getting back to employers. You know, employers were inviting them to jobs, and candidates didn't reply. So almost the same problem. In almost the same problem. Yeah. Uh, and once we started diving into the reasons why, we found that candidates had become disengaged with online recruitment services in general uh, because they'd lost that element of trust. They didn't really realise that these opportunities were real. They thought it was spam because of all the stuff that comes through the job boards. Um, so we decided um, that we would pay them. So we introduced uh, this kind of digital currency um, and we started rewarding users for their engagement. So now when a, a candidate gets invited to a job by an employer, they can earn you know, something small like one pound for responding quickly. And it builds that element of trust and gamification with our community and it also shows them that we care about them, we value them, we value their interactions in a world that is typically you know, shrouded with mystery and you know, candidates are being commoditized and you know, sold for someone else's interest. And did you find that changed the behavior of the candidates? Or well, almost overnight. Uh, we went from kind of 10% response rates, which is similar to LinkedIn, to over 80% response rates. Wow. Um, and we found you know, it's really kind of engaged our community. They really cared about what we were doing. Um, they saw us as the good guys, they really understood them, um, and it's yeah, had a fundamental shift on the business. I'm sure people are wondering, the, uh, the financial people out there at least, how this business model works if you're paying candidates, I mean, how do you make money as a, as a business? So, so we charge employers, um, so we have kind of a couple of models, we can have traditional success-based pricing, so uh, akin to a recruiter, we'll only take a fee once someone gets employed, we also offer people you know, a 90 day, 100% refund if it doesn't work out. Uh, but that's really to transition people to kind of a subscription model. So we want employers to have access to all the candidates they want, unlimited hiring for kind of a, a monthly or annual fee. Uh, and that's really where we want to transition the business. We want to move slowly away from the success fee model because it, you know, it limits uh, use and uh, accessibility and towards a much more open and inclusive model that uh, allows more employers to come in and help more people find meaningful work. So it seems like you're taking, you're borrowing a concept from digital advertising in a way. It's like a pay-per-click model, isn't it? Yeah, it's an acquisition model. Um, I was reading one of your articles on Medium uh, and you talk a lot about employee disengagement. Uh, tell me more about your, your views there. Uh, so when employees actually go into work, so it, it's, 
a lot of companies, um, especially the more traditional ones, aren't really um, thinking about the needs or the wants or the desires of the new generation moving into the world of work. And it's really important to take into account the things that are being seen as more valuable. Things like uh, the ability to you know, work from home or remote working. Um, or you know flexibility to come in through different hours of the day and these things these perks if they're core to the culture of a company can really build and band together um, a community of employees uh, but traditional companies that you know they're not offering these things the big corporates um, PwCs of the world uh, so actually candidates great candidates that would traditionally go down that route are starting to be pulled into these newer tech companies and that are offering these things for candidates. Right, right. Um, I've got some, I've got some good friends at PwC. Actually, it's uh, they've got some very innovative um, apprenticeship programs as well. So I think, uh, in many, in many senses, also one of the leaders uh, in the market. The, um, the process of applying for a job is fundamentally different. It's certainly different than it was when when I, I was applying. And there are probably people watching or listening uh, who are thinking, okay, I'm getting to that stage. What does a good CV look like? What does a good cover letter look like? How should I think about presenting myself uh, to prospective uh, employers? You must get a lot of data. You see what good looks like, what bad looks like. What's your advice for candidates? Um, so we, I mean, we believe in the power of of video and human interaction and we believe in that combined with technology to provide matches so you know all of the candidates on our platform for example uh, have a video cover letter and that you know helps this intangible match that is still required um, we see to kind of do the initial screening uh, and we see it the same as the company so not just candidates being able to present themselves via video, we want companies to be able to present themselves right, via video yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that people can find each other and it's a mutual match. Uh, in terms of skills, you know, we're still seeing people look for um, the traditional indicators, you know, universities, degrees, things like that, um, but we're seeing a trend away from those things and towards more, um, you know, less obvious indicators, uh, achievements, out of work things, um, things like you know, if you're a, a captain of a sports team or you went out of your way to get a good grade in a, um, you know, an instrument, things that show that you have resilience and things that show you're going to you know, go above and beyond, uh, they're the things that can really help the candidates stand out and they actually significantly trump some of the traditional things like whether you've got a, a 2-1 or a 1st. So yeah, we kind of push people to really think about uh, what are those things that can become those indicators. Because a lot of times candidates, you know, they have them, they've done them, it's part of who they are, but they don't think it's important to an employer and they don't put it into their profile or their CV. Um, but it's our job to show them what is important. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I do a lot of recruiting uh, uh, in, in my work and I have to say, I very rarely look at all at formal qualifications. Yeah. I go straight to, okay, who is this person? What have they done outside work? What do I see here that demonstrates a depth of character and makes this somebody who I'd like to meet, you know, somebody who's interesting? So completely, completely agree. And, and from an employer point of view, what, what, what would be your advice? How do you make yourself attractive as a prospect to candidates? 
Um, yeah, so as I said about you know, really thinking about what are the, the perks and the things candidates care about these days. And it's, it really result or revolves around freedom. Um, freedom. Yeah. The freedom of, you know, and, and freedom comes from trust and, and trust needs to be earned. So it's kind of a, a three-way, you know, process. Um, but yeah, just really thinking about, you know, what are your policies for flexible work? Are you truly a diverse and um, inclusive hirer? Uh, does your team represent that? Um, you know, are you focusing on promoting your employee brand? Uh, and you know, the forward-thinking companies are, are treating their social media accounts not to acquire uh, customers all the time, but also to acquire the best employees, Talent, yeah. to show what the culture's like, to bring in those kind of people. Um, and it's thinking about it really holistically to build a good picture of your company and your brand. Right. So let's pivot a little in the conversation and talk about your experience as an entrepreneur. You are a co-founder, and my understanding is your co-founder co partner is no longer in the business. So tell, tell me about that. Yeah, so I started, or we started the company about four and a half years ago now. And um, Matt, Matthew Cinderberry, uh, who is my co-founder, we had been uh, best friends since primary school. Um, you know, from selling sweets in the playground, we'd always been quite entrepreneurial together. Uh, and we started it together after university. And you know, after three years, uh, he had you know, found a girlfriend um, who lived in New York and decided to, to move out there to you know, stay with her permanently. Um, so we had to come to a difficult decision, which was for him to transition out of the business. And, you know, he's it, still my best friend for reference. Um, we've still got a great relationship, but it was, it was a difficult period in the company's life. And I think when you go into a company and a startup, and when you're really in the trenches, um, it feels like uh, it is everything. Uh, it's your whole life, it's all encompassing. Um, and it's easy to forget that people are on their own journeys, um, you know, and people need to progress their own agendas. Um, so yeah, you know, very happy for him. Um, he's now engaged. Uh, That's great. Man. So it, it worked out incredibly well, um, and you know, we've managed to to build the team um, to fill in kind of the. The responsibilities that are required. Um, I've managed to build, you know, a bit more of an experienced team, which is also exciting. Um, but yeah, these are the the pivots and the the road bumps that come along the way. And after speaking with a lot of, you know, uh, VCs and founders, it's it's not uncommon. Uh, it's quite a normal thing to happen after four years of seeing the same face every day. <laughs> That's quite unique in itself. Um, so yeah, it was it was an interesting challenge, um, but one we fortunately overcame. That's good, and he's onto a uh, sort of a startup of a different kind, isn't it? Absolutely, the, the yeah. new, new marriage. <laughs> uh, it can be a lonely place, right? Uh, being a being a founder. So I guess having a co-founder there is a is a good tonic for that. Would you recommend it? Would, if you started another business, a different business, would you do it again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I think it's. For me, at least, it was fundamental, and uh, especially when the the times are tough and it's difficult. You know, having someone that you can talk candidly about when things are going wrong and things are difficult uh, is incredibly important. Um, and as a founder, as a CEO of a small company, when you have investors and shareholders and a team, 
you constantly have to uh, be positive and optimistic and talk about how great things are going. It's kind of part of the role. And having someone um, that you can turn to and you know really problem solve and speak honestly uh, is really important. Fortunately, you know, I still have a, a great uh, network of mentors and advisors who you can have those conversations with, but um, they'll never quite understand the business as much as someone who's in their day-to-day in the trenches. Of course. So if uh, I'm an employer, how do, I, uh, how do I do business with JobLab? If I'm a candidate, what do I do? I'll link below, by the way. Excellent. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's all self-serve. So you can just visit joblab.com. Candidates can sign up, add their preferences, discover what their talents and passions are, and then get invited to opportunities. Uh, employers can, again, visit joblab.com, uh, sign up, list the job, and immediately they'll see the best matching candidates from our pool of talent. Brilliant. Link below. Closing thoughts, uh, many people watching or listening may be about to enter the, the job market, any advice for them? Uh, good luck, um, don't settle, I think it's, it's really important you know, if you're entering the job market to, to set yourself up on the right path, so to really think about what it is that you are kind of innately talented at, what are the things that make you special, um, and then what are the things that you care about, what are you passionate about, and trying to marry those together. And really taking time at that stage in your career to, to think about what those things are is really important. But also not to let that um, you know, become too overbearing. Uh, you know, there is an opportunity when you're young and entering the job market to try a few things, to experiment, to test ideas and pivot. Um, so it's about just going forward confidently. Well, advice from the quintessential entrepreneur, Aidan Kramer. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you.